0: To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound.
1: You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is made by the spin-off, with help from Callaghan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound.
0: Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, and if you haven't heard of his latest company, you've very likely seen their work on awarded and effective websites for clients like Marketo, Visa, Air New Zealand, Spark, and Les Mills. Having started just six years ago with a perfectly timed mix of design, brand, marketing, and build for the market, his agency, Little Giant, came and got big fast. Little Giant was one of New Zealand's fastest growing companies in 2015 on the Deloitte Fast 50, one of Asia Pacific's fastest growing tech companies in 2015 and 16, and Mark was named an EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist in 2017. They grew big and they got bought by one of the leading players in global advertising, the $11 billion annual revenue behemoth, Dentsu Aegis. It's a huge achievement in a short time. But it wasn't Mark's first rodeo. He's been starting companies since he was 17 and learnt some hard lessons along the way that he's turned into his exit and next launching pad. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, so um, tell me about your start In entrepreneurship, you started out with companies at 17, which is a bit unusual. Yeah, well,
1: I guess I came from a family of entrepreneurs. So my mum and dad, I mean, um, if I think about it across the years, they owned an earth-moving company in Papua New Guinea, a beef farm in Kirikiri, a pallet factory in Hikarangi, an AA licensing centre, a clothing store. Uh, photocopy shop, you know, and so I grew up around two entrepreneurs that were constantly following their own kind of dreams and passions. And so for me, like it never seemed like any other option. I always kind of wanted to create my own thing and um, make my own way in the world.
0: That's so cool. And what, what does having that kind of opening up to all those different perspectives of places like Papua New Guinea and across New Zealand, what does that do to a young mind?
1: Yeah, well, I guess uh, Papua New Guinea was probably a little bit too early for me to remember. I think we came back when I was uh, three or four. So, um, yeah, I don't have many memories from that time. But, I, I mean, we spent some time down in Tauranga, uh, Mount Manganui, um, and then Kirikiri is where I grew up. I guess what I got out of the most is watching my parents um, sacrifice, watching them um, work extremely hard for their dreams um seeing the kind of reward in terms of them being able to choose their own um, way in the world, being able to um, decide where they spent their time, um, I think that's what kind of excited me about it. You weren't defined to that nine to five, you were building something, creating something, um, and
0: you had your kind of own freedom around where you spent your time and effort. And so when you decided to get going in business for yourself at that young age, what did they say to you?
1: Uh, They were always super supportive, honestly. Um, Yeah, they never, ever put up a single roadblock. Uh, They perhaps questioned some of my initial thinking, which looking back now, I wish I'd probably done a little bit more. Um, But yeah, no, they were extremely supportive and um, I can't thank them enough for that.
0: Tell me about your first go through the entrepreneurial cycle. Yeah, well, it actually came about,
1: um, so it was the summer between high school and university, and I was working up in a northern orchard, which was one of my first jobs, uh, picking mandarins in northern summer. That's not an incredibly fun job. Um, I did that for about three weeks and realized that that kind of wasn't for me. Um, and suddenly thought, oh, I've got to figure out another way uh, to essentially make, you know, money for beer on the weekends. That kind of was my only goal at the time. I was 17 years old. So um, my mum at the time had a, a photocopy store with a T-shirt press in it. I decided that I was going to design up some T-shirts and sell them to the local surf store, and that's what I did. And then it kind of just snowballed from there over the next kind of three to four years to a point where uh, when I left university, we kind of had a
0: company to jump into, and, um yeah. That's so cool. And so building a a surf kind of apparel brand from the ground up or what, what kind yeah. of what kind of thing was it well
1: essentially what we were is we were a graphic design company when I look back at it now our output just happened to be kind of men's apparel so we created um, brands for um, so we did Farmers Saint Modern we did for Farmers, uh, Illuminati we did for the Warehouse Group and Torpedo 7 uh, we had a men's underwear brand so really it was kind of fast fashion focused on men's t-shirts we had a variety of different brands in the market um, and we had that business for about 8-10 10 years
0: that's a really big move from selling a few shirts to a, a surf store up north to then supplying the biggest listed companies in New Zealand with uh, fast fashion how did you go from doing it yourself on a on a copy machine to, to international supply. Um, well, really, I guess
1: uh, through my parents' support, it was like, um, you know, here's here's an opportunity here, here's a business. Um, let's go to the bank, let's get a little bit of money, um, and then let's start scaling up production and scaling up our kind of sales workforce. And so that's what we did. Um, At the time when we launched, it was kind of pre-GFC. You could kind of roll up to a surf store in New Zealand and they would probably buy a decent amount of clothing from you. I think the market's changed. I'm not in it anymore, but I gather the market's changed pretty dramatically in retail now. It's definitely not that easy. So I think at the time um, we were in a unique kind of space and time and it um, made that possible.
0: And you also would have been there for the massive waves of disruption of international supply and fast fashion. And what kind of things did you learn from being in that landscape where perhaps you were doing big volume, but it wasn't. Uh, You know, bringing big money or or, or that kind of uh, thing?
1: Yeah, well, I guess um, apparel was my first business, right? So I had no other context. I didn't really, um, and I wish I had researched um, that particular industry because what I learned probably the most was that not every industry is the same. Some are just straight up harder than others and apparel is incredibly hard. Um, I take my hat off to anyone. Um, I think about like Steve from Huffer, guys that have had businesses for, you know, like 15, 16, I'm not sure how long they go now, but really long-term
0: successful businesses. It's incredibly hard in that market. And then you also look at it and some of the world's richest people are out of apparel so if you get it right uh, you can do very well but as far as I can see from that mix getting it right means squeezing every person in the chain.
1: (laughs) Yeah perhaps. Um, I I always say to people that uh, the failure, well I mean I call it a failure but I think like when I look at apparel business we were profitable for you know eight years and we ended up selling the business at the end so you could say it wasn't a failure, but I personally kind of look at it as a failure it was a, because it was a constant grind. You know, it never quite hit the success that I hoped for with a company. But I look at all the lessons that we took out of that, and I think that's a big part of why Little Giant was so successful is everything we took from um, yeah, our, our apparel
0: company. So what, did, what kind of things did you take? Did you What, what led you to go from the world of uh, apparel and supply and supply chains and, and warehouse management and inventory and all of that kind of difficult grinding stuff into the ideas business which is what an agency is isn't it?
1: Yeah well I guess personally I was always creatively driven um, and then the idea behind Little Giant is really the marrying of art and science or the creativity and technology and I got exposed to technology when we actually first built our first kind of fashion e-commerce store so we launched that into the market I think it would have been about uh, 2005 probably so pretty early on uh, probably too early people really didn't probably trust putting their credit card in a browser back then Um, but that kind of exposure to e-commerce technology for me um, really got me interested in technology and I guess that's um, kind of the basis from which Little Giant was born and so how it came about was um, the clothing store, uh, the clothing company at the time, we rented out desk space to Mike Little, he was my business partner that I started Little Giant with, he was a developer, Uh, I kind of brought I guess the creative aspect of the business, Uh, we saw an opportunity in the market and so we sat down and decided to kind of launch our own agency and that was um, how Little Giant was born.
0: And what was your proposition that made you guys different than other agencies out there or other web designers or other website builders or other e-commerce helpers? What What was your mix that made it special?
1: Um, I guess we looked at the market we were going into and we saw massive changes. Um, I think above the line advertising spend is obviously declining rapidly. I think um, the there's a large change in the marketing mix. Advertising is becoming less and less um, important in the marketing mix. We saw an opportunity for an agency to be built from the ground up for what we believe brands needed in the connected age. And so um, what we saw missing is we saw legacy agencies who had strong uh, strategic and creative capability. And then we saw digital agencies who really were just production houses. Uh, they didn't have that strategic or creative capability. And so we thought there was a big opportunity in the market to build an agency uh, that that art and science or that creativity and technology
0: because it's only six years ago but still you know we we bank gain so fast these days I, I was working in um, networked ad agencies uh, seven years ago and People would, you know, for a big brand, they'd say, let's do a microsite in Flash, and you'd make like this $150,000 thing that lived on the internet by itself that no one could find, no one could do anything with, there was no way to make a dollar out of it, you had to put TV ads on to send people to use it, and that was considered a good project.
1: Yeah, it it was a strange time, that flash uh, period, actually. And um, you still actually see some companies with flash websites. But yeah, you're exactly right. Um, I think when websites first came around, they were treated as silo project um, without any understanding of how they fit within a kind of wider um, marketing and brand strategy. Um, I think brands have advanced from there now. um, They understand that, yeah, it isn't just a silo digital asset. It actually needs to play an important role in your
0: overall business strategy. And it was kind of for the big, big players that things were the most siloed, while the little players, people who had to sell shirts through their website, they were doing it. And so I guess that's an interesting thing to to have um, brought to the mix, but also design. And so something that, um, as an outside observer, looking at the growth of Little Giant over the years, uh, you've um, entered design awards, design's been a big feature of it, but also going for that. Marketing mix, like how you make a dollar out of it. And is that fusing of design and marketing, was that something that helped you grow?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that really falls under that kind of creativity and technology. So, um, yeah, it's about owning all of those brand touch points for our clients along the way. So whether that is the initial kind of brand identity or brand communication strategy, um, creative concepting, campaign creative, um, actual digital asset build, infrastructure build, et cetera, I really think brands need an agency to manage all of those different brand touch points along the way.
0: Tell me about the, the growth. Like when, when did you know it was working and how quickly did you find that you had yourself like the tail of the tiger? I think um, when it
1: probably dawned on me that we had cracked something was when we um, outgrew our office and we had to knock down a wall. Um, I think that's the first time that I really thought, um, you know, shit, we're on to something here, you know, like we've got some good traction. um, We've got clients kind of lining up to work for us. That's when I really felt like um, we had kind of made something of ourselves.
0: How, How long did that take you?
1: Well, it was actually a bit of a slow burn for us because we didn't take on any debt. I learned from my previous company that um, I think debt can actually hamper high-quality decision-making. You kind of get a little bit short-term in your thinking and you're constantly thinking about how to service that debt instead of grow a long-term, sustainable business. And so we didn't take on any debt with Little Giant. We wanted to grow something organic and sustainable. Um, So we had a really slow beginning. The first couple of years, um, we really were just kind of doing work on the side for Ogilvy and Colenso and some of those larger agencies, purely doing digital production work, um, so it was a really slow burn. I think probably about three years in um, was when we kind of, yeah, probably outgrew our first office and I started to think, um, you know, we've got a massive opportunity here.
0: And what was it that that went from doing the work on the side to being the place that people were knocking on your door? Does like Did you have a, a success that meant that other people were like, oh, I need to get some of that? Or was it just that kind of build and build? Yeah, I think we, we put our
1: head down and just focus on doing really high quality work and relying on word of mouth. Um, I think, too, the market was just changing with us, so we were in the right space. Uh, brands were probably becoming um, less and less happy with their existing client relation uh, agency relationships. And they were looking for something new. Um, they were looking for an agency that understood digital channels and how to amplify their brand communication across those digital channels. Um, so yeah, I really do think it was part and parcel about us delivering great work into market and also us having an offering that kind of resonated with brands' needs.
0: And having sold a company before, did you already already have an, an exit plan did you start this thinking this is something that I want to um, spin up and get out of or, or move on or or was it like a long-term
1: goal uh, it, it was a long-term thing for me I never planned to sell the company at all um, I am a big believer though in always um, having your company ready to sell even if you have no intention to do so I think that's just good business practice but no I, I had never any intention to sell Little Giant when we did um it just came down to we got a unique opportunity um, and it felt really aligned with what we wanted to do with the company going forward.
0: What kind of things did you have to learn along the way to become the CEO of an ad agency with a bunch of different elements between the creative and the production and the account service? How did you upskill in those things? Um, Yeah,
1: well, I I guess... uh, I'm really inquisitive by nature, and so um, I love learning. And so as we adopted new technology, um, I would always try and get very hands-on with that technology and learn about it myself. Um, How did I become a CEO? I guess, yeah, it's just through experience, really. I look back at that first business, the apparel business, and I look back at all the mistakes I made, and it really just came down to maturity and experience, I think. And so I learned a lot. Um, So by the time Little Giant came around and we started, I was 28. And I feel like I was um, a far better leader than I was with the apparel business.
0: And tell me about building your team, because something that um, if people follow uh, your company on the social networks, you do quite a bit to promote uh, new hires, um, team members, uh, the work of your people. How do you how do you build a team and how important is that uh, for a, an ideas agency?
1: Yeah, people for us are everything. Um, I think if you look at what we do, we literally sell our people's time, so they are our product. We have always um, wanted the very best people um, and we want to retain the very best people. And so we know that we need to put people first. Um, everything about our culture is around creating the absolute best environment possible for those individuals. Um, yeah, but I can't stress enough that the people are really what's made Little Giants successful.
0: And so how did it come that you were making the sale to such a big player? So having come as a true independent and uh, got some big brands, you know, um, bitten off bits of work for big brands and taken down big brands. Did you start to annoy them? Were you you like a mosquito they had to squash or how does it work? Um, I'm
1: not sure about that. We'd probably have to ask Rob from um, Dentsu, but... Um, I mean Rob had been chatting to me for a couple of years, Um, they had been interested in moving in the space that we were operating for a couple of years here in New Zealand, Um, again I never had any intention to sell so it was kind of like polite conversations but no thank you. and yeah, I guess we got to a point where we spent enough time together that we realized that the vision for Little Giant and the vision for the Tensu Aegis Network here in New Zealand aligned really well. Uh, we saw an opportunity to um, be able to kind of leverage their global capabilities and resource to help us scale quicker. Um, and most importantly, we saw an alignment in culture between them and us. Um, I felt like this move was the best thing for our people.
0: Yeah, well, how did the people react?
1: How, how did that go? Yeah, well, they've been great. So um, a large part of the negotiation with Dentsu wasn't as much about kind of the price of the acquisition, but was a lot about kind of control and making sure that we got to maintain our brand and our identity and our culture. Um, and that's what our people really care about. Um, the way that I kind of frame this deal to them is uh, we're staying the same old little giant. We're still going to be kind of um, independently minded. It's just that now we have this kind of uh, global capabilities and resources when and if we need them.
0: And what does it allow you to do? What do those resources, you know, um, I imagine the life of a, an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, if we just had a little bit more resource, we could just do a bit more. What does it mean for for you now to look at a situation where there is the resource and there is the backing?
1: Yeah, well, um, as you said, for me, being an entrepreneur, it's always been kind of bootstrapped everything. And so now... Um, yeah, it's really nice having that kind of global support. The main reason for us um, that we wanted the additional capabilities that they bring is around technology. So right now in New Zealand, we support, um, for example, the PHP stack, um, very hard for us to build teams across all the available different emerging technologies and then be able to kind of maintain those teams and service the market with the size of New Zealand. And so what it gives us the um, capability to do today is deliver across a whole bunch of different technology platforms that we simply wouldn't have been able to if we stayed as an independent. And so really the way that we frame that is um, we feel like um, our ideas are no longer restricted by our technology. We have the ability to deliver AR and VR solutions um, Tomorrow, for example, we have the ability to deliver Sitecore, we have the ability to deliver Adobe Experience platform. We previously just
0: couldn't do that with our in-house team. And you're staying as the CEO and your uh, what are your next plans with the company then? Yeah, well I'm really
1: excited about the next few years, I really am. Um, I feel like I've got some renewed energy for the company and where we're going. Um, I mean we've got the same mission as we had previously, we just kind of have additional support to get there. Um, a really exciting thing about joining Densu Aegis is the access to some of their IP. So for example they're opening up some of their IP from Isabar Melbourne, that's about a 200 person agency over there. The ability for us to learn from their growth from a 60 to a 200 person agency and be able to download that ip um, is incredibly valuable to a company like us so yeah we've got some really really big plans here in new zealand over the next three to four years
0: and how about having been through the entrepreneur cycle a couple of times, and and still you know very early in your career, what does that set you up to do next? And what kind of things, you know, do you are you a person who has a, a five year plan, a ten year plan? What, what does this open up for you? Yeah, well, obviously, I'm really
1: focused on what we're going to do next with Little Giant, but um, I've always had other business interests as well um, I'm investing in sharesies at the moment I know Brooke's actually been on your yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, um, they're great really big fan um, of sharesies um, personally I mean uh, as you've kind of talked about in the podcast previously as well um, I think it's a real shame that Kiwis only invest in property um, and I think SharesEase is a perfect platform to try and, um, I guess, curb um, that habit of Kiwis. But yeah, Brooke, um, they've got a really strong team there at SharesEase. They've got a great product, they've got a great brand, so I'm investing in their latest round and then going to um, kind of sit as a casual advisor for them when and if need be.
0: Cool, and in terms of, you know, if people come to you, maybe people you grew up with in, in Keri-Keri, you know, if they come to you and they say, wow, you know, like, what does it take to be an entrepreneur and, like, how, how can I... um take the leap, what kind of advice do you give people now?
1: Um, Yeah, well I think it it all comes down to that self-motivation I think, Um, there's particular individuals that are more suited to being entrepreneurs than others I think you need to be able to self-motivate no one's going to make you get up in the morning Um, you need to have that kind of unrelenting drive and passion, I think first and foremost that's really important um, I also think I encourage people to, yeah, research the markets that they're going into. I probably, when I was young, um, just, yeah, followed my passion a little bit too much. I probably would have been good if I would taken a bit of an objective step back and looked at what we're doing from a commercial sense. Not all good ideas make profitable businesses. Um, so, yeah, that's something else I would encourage. And, yeah, I just think it comes down to um, willing to put in the hard yards, willing to sacrifice, um, and be extremely determined and single-minded because a lot of people along the way are going to tell you that's a stupid idea it won't work i mean i can think of just off the top of my head five or six conversations i had about little giant with people who were a lot more senior and knew a lot more about the industry than me telling me when we were eight people when we were 12 people when we were 15 people you know it's hard to scale further you know a lot of agencies like you pop up etc etc you're always going to have those doubters you need to have that um, determination and self-confidence i think
0: Oh, that's so cool thank you very much for coming to chat to us today Mark Hurley the CEO of Little Giant uh, and congratulations on the acquisition by Dentsu Just uh, a huge uh, achievement uh, thank you very much for coming today thanks Simon cheers thank you very much to Madeline Chapman for producing and thank you for listening you have been listening to Business
1: is Boring presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation
0: From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment?